Welcome to the Nobles You podcast. Thanks for listening, and we are glad you are with us. My name is Mike Kalin, the Director of Teaching and Learning here at Nobles, and I'll be your host today. I first briefly want to explain the purpose of the podcast and what we're up to. So on the podcast, we speak with faculty and staff members, all involved with our work related to teaching and learning, academic technology, DEI culture and practices, social-emotional learning, and more. Our faculty and staff here have tons of expertise in a wide range of subjects, Through the podcast, we hope to learn from our guests who provide insight into the opportunities and challenges in the fascinating world of education. So today, we're excited to speak with Heather O'Neill, Director of Academic Support here at Nobles, and a thought leader on neurodiversity and diverse learning needs. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. Thanks so much for having me, Mike. All right, so let's get started. So first question is, pre-Nobles, can you tell us a little bit about your professional life prior to your arrival here? Sure. I actually, I owe my career in education to Britney Spears, who would have thought. Uh, In 2001, I was in law school, and that summer I worked at a performing arts camp that was sponsored by Britney, and that 10 days completely changed my life. By the end of that 10-day camp, I decided that I didn't want to continue with law school and pursue that any longer, so I left uh, my school. I left my job as a paralegal in Boston. And I enrolled in an intro to teaching class. And I knew I wanted to work with high school students. I had been teaching dance for a while, and I I knew I really liked that population. I wanted to work with them on life skills, such as stress management, healthy relationships, overall wellness. So I enrolled in a two-year health educator program, received my certification to be a health teacher, and thought I was going to get a job. Unfortunately, there are the health teacher jobs are few and far between. So I took a job at a local high school as a part-time math tutor and a part-time special education teacher. Over the next 14 years, I became a full-time special education teacher, worked my way through my master's programs, my CAGS degree, and I eventually became the special education department head. And I was actually slated to be the next assistant director of special education for the entire district. And then I got word that the academic support department head job was open at Nobles. Well, before we talk about that transition, Britney Spears is not usually involved in a pathway to Nobles story. And if I had some Britney Spears songs, I would play them right now in honor of the Britney Spears inspiration. But we don't. So we'll move on. Next time. Uh, I should should have preempted that for you, huh? So, yeah. So it sounds like you had a pretty cool opportunity on the table. What attracted you to come to Nobles? I, special education and in public education, while it's wonderful and there's so many things and students you can help and things you can do, it is exhausting. Uh, there are limited resources, there's limited staffing, multiple demands, there's multiple requirements. And to be honest, I was, I was burnt out. I, someone forwarded me this position and I thought now could be a good time to move from public to private education. And my, my kids were still young. I was, I still had a lot of years to go in my career. So I thought, why not make that jump? And what I knew about Nobles was it was, it's an amazing school. It's with an amazing community of educators who truly care about their students. The students were hardworking. They were determined. They valued their education. They took it very seriously. Um, And it was clear that after going through the interview process, that this was a place I wanted to be associated with. I was excited to work with the faculty, students, their families, and bring what I knew about teaching and learning to this community. 
we're really lucky that you made that decision. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about the Learning Center that you lead here. And can you just tell us a little bit what that is, the purpose and mission of the Learning Center now that, uh, that you lead? So the first year I was at Nobles was the year that we went out with a pandemic, uh, which was a learning experience for us all. But during the 2020-21 school year, we were hybrid for most of the year. And the learning specialists were meeting with some students on Zoom and some in person, but there wasn't really a place that we could go or students could go to pop in and, and meet with somebody if they needed assistance. They really had to find the, the person and, and ideally find a space if, if the office wasn't large enough for them. Uh, so I was worried about when we returned for, to be fully in person, where would students go if they, if they needed help? Where would they meet with someone? And I didn't want students to have to jump through hoops or uh, be deterred by making an appointment or if someone wasn't there. So with the support of our administration, uh, Mike McHugh and the BNG team worked during that, that summer to repurpose Shattuck 131. Uh, which is now what we know as the Learning Center. Uh, that The room previously was uh, a library. It had been a classroom. It had been offices. Uh, and it was the, the music room. And most recently, the music room before we um, were able to take it over. It's become an enormous resource as part of our academic program on campus. And I think one that, unfortunately, probably not enough you know, faculty and staff sometimes are even aware of. Um, I, I was curious in terms of the education piece, what are some of the most common reasons students utilize the Learning Center? That's a great question. Uh, lots of executive function assistance. Uh, we are organizing materials, whether it's paper or digital, um, time management, working with kids on time management, how to manage their busy lives, how to plan and prioritize work, how to get started on an essay, how to work on projects that are longer term. Um, there's lots of reflection going on after a grade comes in you know, what worked well for that particular project assessment or paper and what didn't work well? What can we do differently or continue to do for the, for the next project assessment or paper? We're definitely busiest when Mrs. Harrington is here during the upper school community time on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays, and she provides math support. She's always got students lined up like waiting for her. So my guess is that some of the students that come into the Learning Center have learning profiles, some don't. But could you explain a little bit about what is a learning profile? And then sort of along the lines are, what are some misconceptions about students with learning profiles? Um, so a learning profile is a document that outlines how a student learns best. What are their strengths? What are their challenges, academically speaking? And how do we mitigate those challenges in the classroom? Uh, it's basically a guide for teachers on how to best instruct and work with a particular student. I think one misconception could be that the students that have learning profiles may not be the brightest students. And that pains me because many of our students are intellectually gifted. Uh, they may need an accommodation to be able to show their knowledge. So an accommodation is something that levels the playing field for a student um, with a documented learning challenge. So an example could be extended time. So students maybe with a slower processing speed or some intentional challenges, they may need more time to complete an assessment than a student who does not have those challenges. And by providing them that extra time, we're not changing what they're doing. We are just um, extending the time that they have to do that so they can show their truest potential. So I, I think the idea of teaching accommodations are really interesting, especially for those in education. Could you provide some other examples of teaching practices 
that help students with learning profiles. And I know you often point out that good teaching is often good teaching, even if it supports students with learning profiles. But what are some of the other specific practices that can really help help the students you work with? Sure. Movement breaks. You know, with our 60, 70 minute classes, students need to move around. Teachers need to move around. Uh, this doesn't mean taking a break from instruction or that students have to leave a classroom, but it's, it could be literally just getting up and moving around the room. Instruction can continue. Teaching can continue. I've seen teachers bring students outside to do an activity and then bring them back in or walk the halls to do an activity. It doesn't mean um, taking a break from that instruction. I think taking notes on new information can be really difficult for some students. So for some to listen to the teacher, to discern what information they should be writing down, and then actually writing down the information is a challenge and it can take a lot of time. So when teachers provide students with a copy of the notes beforehand, or even an outline of their notes that students can fill in along the way, students will better be able to record accurate um, information and ideally be able to remember it. I like to give teachers an example of when they go to a conference, they like to have the notes beforehand, before the teacher is, uh, before the presenter is speaking, so that they can take their own notes. And ideally that's, that's really good for, for some of our students as well. And I was gonna say another good teaching practice is providing all directions orally and in writing. So, uh, and posting them to Canvas. So often teachers will verbally state what the directions are and uh, they may even provide that on a handout to students in the class, but students with organizational or processing or attention challenges could understand in the moment what the teacher wants, but they may forget once they get home or once they leave the classroom. So when teachers are consistently posting that information, you know, here at Nobles to Canvas, uh, students have the information readily available when they need it. I think it's so important. And I think you've been such a leader in our school over the last several years, helping teachers understand the importance of accommodations. And I definitely think we've headed in the right direction. We probably still have room for growth. Uh, but again, you've really been a thought leader in that area. And sort of along the lines of being a thought leader, I am curious about recent research as director of teaching and learning. I try to nerd out as much teaching research as I can, but I honestly don't probably study enough about neurodiversity. And so I was curious if there's been any recent research that you've come along that you found particularly interesting or important that you could share. I, I love the idea that neurodiversity has become more of a mainstream term. Uh, years ago, the term was really primarily to, used to describe people with autism, and it's now become a term that is synonymous with just the overall diversity of how our brains work. And this includes you know, people with ADHD, anxiety, dyslexia, dyscalculia, Tourette's, uh, twice exceptional, which twice exceptional uh, is people that are intellectually gifted, but they also have a learning challenge. And we do have quite a few twice exceptional students here. Um, I think in our Neurodiversity Alliance space meetings, it's been really great to see so many students and adults connect with this word and celebrate it as a gift and that there's nothing, you know, quote unquote, wrong with how their brains learn. It's, that's just how their brains learn. So I, I love the idea that there has become more of a mainstream term. And one podcast that, that I really enjoy is um, Dr. Andrew Huberman, and he has the Huberman Lab Cop podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, I haven't. I haven't. He's a he's a neuroscientist at uh, at Stanford, and he uh, really speaks about you know the, the brain and he discuss, discusses topics like ADHD, motivation, motivation and drive, neuroplasticity, and he does a lot with sleep hygiene, which is are things that are so important I think for all of our students. So I, I enjoy listening to his podcasts. Um, you know, 
some of the stuff is over my head scientifically, but uh, I, it's, it's chosen, it's helped me go down different paths to really um, dive deeper into some of the different topics of neurodiversity. And it seems super important. I'm going to continue to try and research. I would also echo as a history and English teacher, sometimes the scientific terms also go over my head, <laughs> um, but I'm doing, doing my best. Uh, next question is one that you might be getting a lot lately, but as we think about the last six months to a year with the emergence of generative AI, just curious how you think that will impact for better or worse students with diverse learning needs. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, my concern with generative AI for students is that they that will be their go-to and they will overuse it and they will not fully develop their skills. Um, and the skills that they need to accurately be able to assess if the information that generative AI is providing to them is correct. A lot of times the content is not entirely accurate or reliable, and I think their ability to be able to discern that can be problematic. So my fear is that with, by relying on generative AI, they're not fully developing their skills and aren't able to... Uh, number one, write things for, for themselves, but won't be able to even discern what is accurate and what needs tweaking. Yeah, that's definitely a concern that I think I share for all of our students. And it's just been very difficult to navigate this world of generative AI that's not mm -hmm. going away anytime soon. Um, but I think it's going to affect each and every one of our students. The last question I had, you know, you assume a lot of responsibility as director of academic support and just curious, what do you enjoy most? I, that's a great question too. I, I love working with uh, students and teachers. Uh, in my previous role, I, I took on more of an administrative role and I lost that one-to-one -one connection with students. Um, so here I'm able to meet with students and my advisees, but then, so I can meet with them, but then, you know, in the next five, 10 minutes, I could be in a more an administrative type meeting where we're discussing policies and best, best teaching practices and, and what should be happening in classrooms. So for me, it's, I get the best of both worlds. I get to do students and more administrative work. I also really enjoy getting to meet students. We have a, a summer onset program. Um, onset is organizing mobile students for education and transition. And I get to meet a lot of our newly admitted students in the, in the summers before school starts. And I get to answer questions or provide helpful tips and tools about what could help their academic uh, success at Nobles. And um, I really enjoy getting to meet them before school starts. So then at least they have a friendly face before, before the academic year starts. Yeah, I mean, as, as a teacher, I think that onset program has been huge for students who might otherwise be very anxious. It's difficult mm -hmm. to start a school year. I think it's really eased their transition. So anything else on your mind uh, related to academic support or the students you support? No, I think uh, what I would want students to know and, and, and faculty as well is that the Learning Center is here to support all of our students. You know, our, our team of learning specialists meets with many students and we, we really meet when the student needs to meet. Sometimes that's weekly, sometimes that's a couple times a week. Sometimes it's just before assessments or to review an essay before turning it in or to study for a test or a quiz that's coming up. Um, we really want to be able to support students however we can. We want it to be a place where students can come and feel comfortable coming into the work. They can work quietly on their own or they can bring some friends or uh, just meet with a learning specialist if they want. Heather, thank you so much. Before we finish up, I just wanted to put a plug in for some of our other podcasts that have been recorded. And we can tell someone like Heather is 
incredibly thoughtful, thinks deeply about her craft. And we have some others who's also been interviewed in a similar vein. So if you get a chance at the Nobles You podcast, you can check it out wherever you find your podcasts. And if not, hopefully you'll listen to the next one. And Heather, again, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank <laughs> you.